There's a paradox that impacts most startups early on. You can't make your product without money, but you can't get money without a product. And I find a lot of founders waste a huge amount of time struggling unsuccessfully to fundraise at this point in their business. There's just got to be some other way around it. So today I want to talk about three strategies for cutting through this Gordian knot. Welcome to Feel the Boot, the science of startups. I'm your host, Lance Cottrell, and I'm here to help you along your journey climbing that vertical learning curve you're going to encounter as a founder. I know what it's like. I've been there myself, and I have helped countless other founders along their journey to success. Now, this episode is part of our series on fundraising, and I'll put a card up there with a link to all the rest of the episodes on this topic, and also put a link down in the description. Now, in addition to videos, you can get all of the material that we produce at Feel the Boot, also as articles at feeltheboot.com or through our podcast if you want to listen on the go. Same content in all three formats. Maybe you're stuck right now. You can't afford to build the product you want to deliver to your customers, but you've tried and failed at raising money to give you the capital you need to actually build out that solution. But obviously, you're not one to give up at this point. So what are you going to do? I've seen companies successfully take three different paths to get out of this predicament. First, they can give up on what they thought their product needed to be and make something much, much cheaper. Something that they can afford to build right now. Second, you can really focus on validating your business, guaranteeing that you know this will be a success once the product comes out. And third, you can look for other sources of funding. Raising money from angel investors and VCs is not always the only or even best path to be taking, especially when you're in this situation. When I talk about building it cheaply, what I really mean is getting down to just that core value creation loop, the thing that your customers will come to you for, and stripping out absolutely everything else. Because really, that's what investors want to know about. They want to know, can you reach those customers? Are they interested in it? Do they get that value, right? Will they engage with it and it benefits them? And will they continue to gain, engage with it over time? If you can show all of those happening, even with a pretty crappy version of your solution, they are much more likely to be willing to cut you that check so you can go build the thing you really wanted to build in the first place. And there's two main ways of getting this done to building out this super inexpensive solution. The first is to Frankenstein it, and the second is to fake it. Dr. Frankenstein built his monster by assembling parts from numerous other bodies into something that worked but wasn't particularly elegant. That's exactly what I'm suggesting you do. Go out there and use all of those off-the-shelf third-party tools that are widely available and cobble them together to get something that will deliver the solution that you need. There's tons of tools for processing data, creating user input forms, uh, you know, creating user, simple user interfaces, drop in, you know, drag and drop, no-code kinds of solutions. 
and many tools to allow you to connect them together like Zapier or If Then Then That or the Microsoft automation tools. You can build surprisingly effective tools just using off-the-shelf components and slapping them together with some duct tape and bailing wire. And it may not be beautiful. It may not have the user interface that you wanted. It may have bolts sticking out of its neck at this point. That's fine, as long as it delivers that core benefit to your users so people can get on there, experience it, gain value, and you can prove out and validate that. The customers want it, the customers benefit from it, and you can get customers onto that platform. That's all you need to do to be raising money. The other main approach is to fake it. And this works for most kinds of startups, but not really for deep tech startups where what is going on under the hood is really what the business is about. But most businesses are about something else. They're marketplaces or they're providing education or some other set of tools. And what really matters is what the user gets out of it, not what happens behind the scenes. Right? Your users don't care if this system works because you've got a room full of incredibly well-trained hamsters. It's irrelevant. What they care about is they get this thing that you promised them. So how can you do that without building the back end? If that's the thing that's holding you up, actually building out this application, maybe you can get away without doing it. If there's some sort of, let's say it's a marketplace and you need to connect buyers with particular kinds of sellers, you might use AI to do this really sophisticated searching thing. But in the short run, maybe you just have the person fill out a Google form. It gets delivered to you. You go look through your list of vendors, find the right one, do some research, put them together, make the introductions, and then push that back out to your users. They may have no idea that there was a human doing this from behind the scenes. In fact, ideally they don't. Right? It looks like it's automated, maybe somewhat slow process. And this can work in the short term because you just don't have that many customers. Right? If you only have several hundred customers, you're getting maybe 10, 20 transactions a day, you have plenty of time to do this all manually. And one of the great things about doing it manually is you can immediately start learning. You know exactly how people are using it. What are the edge cases? What kinds of things are they asking for and why? So when you do have the resources to actually build the product, you'll know exactly what to build and what not because you're now the expert having done it all by hand. And as an investor, I generally don't care. If the technology you're going to build is fairly generic, there's no technical risk behind building it, you're not trying to invent some unknown kind of system, then I have no interest in how you achieve this. What I care about is what your customers care about. And eventually, of course, to scale, you'll need to build it. But I have no doubt about your ability to build this once you've got the money, because I know that you already have solved the hard problem, which was product market fit. If for some reason, building that super cheap version of your product is not possible with the kind of company you have, your second option is to compensate with validation. The reason we wanted to see that MVP and customers using it is it validates your assertion that there are customers that want and will benefit from this solution. Well, if you can't build the solution, you now need to go about that some other way. Usually this involves interviews and surveys. 
you know, you're probably looking at doing at least dozens of in-depth interviews with potential customers and maybe hundreds of survey responses if you can get them in a B2B context. In a B2C context, I want to see probably thousands of survey results to get real statistical significance around the questions you're asking. All of this is going to be a lot of work. You're going to spend a lot of time working on creating all of this data that investors are going to want to see. So be ready for that. The upside is it's cheap. What you're spending largely is your time to get all of this information. But when you have time and not money, this can be a good trade-off. When you're interviewing customers, in addition to understanding would they want to have a solution like this, really dig into the nature of their problem. What is driving them to desire a solution like this? What barriers might exist to buying it? Are there concerns? Have they been burned by similar products? Are they worried about security or efficacy or this being something that's annoying? What are the reasons they might resist buying? Also, where does this fall in their priority stack? You know, even if this was something that they wanted and there were no barriers to buying it, would they? Right? We all have a thousand things on our, on our to-do list and, and different products and solutions and capabilities that we'd love to be buying. Is this the next one someone would go out and buy? Or is this something that's like, that's a nice to have. I'd love to have that. But in the meantime, I've got this huge burning issue over there. I'm going to go solve that and the other three burning issues. And then once my whole life is stable and happy, I'll go look at your product. And that almost never happens. Right? So you want to make sure that the thing you're solving is a big enough issue that's the next thing they're going to want to go after as soon as that possibility exists. Investors are going to want to see some evidence of this customer interest beyond your surveys. We want to know that when this product exists, you've got people lined up to use it, which means some kind of a waiting list. In a B2B context, I want to see letters of intent. I'd really like to see typically something like a dozen, if this is a fairly high value service, businesses that have already committed to buying your solution as soon as it exists. Now we know not 100% of them will do so, but that means that you're at least going to have a handful of launch customers and they are in principle interested in buying the thing you're selling. On the consumer side, I'd love to see a waiting list of thousands, maybe tens of thousands of users that you've been able to reach understand what you're asking them to pay and have signed up to get alerted as soon as you go live. Again, many of them won't actually convert, but that's great evidence. Frankly, if you can get them to pre-convert, even better. So if you can pre-sell the solution or maybe run a Kickstarter where people are already going and buying into your idea, that's fantastic validation. And of course also, that's cash, which can allow you to start building things even in the absence of other funding sources. You also need to be validating your costs inside this business, right? What does it cost to bring in your customers? You need to really know and have tested what your customer acquisition costs are because your CAC is typically one of those most expensive price points 
in your business model. So you may need to spend a hundred, couple hundred dollars on ads in the venues where you think you will be advertising to measure, do you get response to the kind of verbiage you're using? Do people resonate with the value proposition you're making? Will they go to that landing page? Will they click the buy button? Which of course isn't going to work because you don't have a product yet. That'll take them to that sign up list, but that shows you now know how to get them and can accurately model what it will cost to bring in those customers. Finally, I want to see you validate the cost of goods sold. If you're making physical product, have you got quotes on all of the aspects of that? How much does it cost to get all of the parts, your full bill of goods, and have it assembled, and have it packaged, and have it delivered to your customers? Is there any sort of maintenance tail on this, and how much is that going to cost you? Even if you've got a software-based model, you need to be getting your head wrapped around how many people does it take to build it? How many people do you need to keep on staff to maintain it, to create the new features and capabilities, to keep up with changes to operating systems and you know the technological context in which you're running and of course to provide tech support to all of those people. Try to pull in all of those different cost centers and come up with either proxies or industry standards or even do some small tests yourself maybe using the faked up version of your product to get your hands around those numbers because it is at least as important to understand your costs as your income and as acquiring customers. Now you need to be looking at this at scale. So get quotes for what it costs to build 10,000 of your thing rather than 10. I mean, you also need 10 because that's where you're going to start. But we know as investors that you're probably not cash flow positive or economically viable when you're first starting. But we need to know that this does make sense once you hit some reasonable level of scale. Before we move on to talking about alternative forms of funding, I want to ask you for a favor. And if you've watched much YouTube, you probably know what it is. I'd really appreciate it if you would like this episode, subscribe to the channel, and ring that bell for notifications. It makes sure that you get notified about every episode I make and other similar kinds of content, and it makes a big difference to the channel. I really appreciate it. However, of course, those YouTube notifications are not, in fact, all that effective. So if you actually want to know every time new content is coming out, subscribe to our newsletter. It's called Bootprints over at feeltheboot.com. In addition to getting alerted to every time we release new episodes, it gives you access to my free office hours. So there'll be a link in there so you can get on my calendar. We do meetings one-on-one -on -one with all of the people who are interested. I can help you on almost any topic related to your startup. That's free, but we also offered pay advising if you need to be scheduled sooner because the calendar does tend to fill up or you want larger blocks of time. I also provide ongoing advising for select number of companies, but I can only be a formal advisor to a handful. Uh, so typically I like to get to know you before we jump into that phase. Raising money from angels or VCs when you don't have that product is insanely difficult. So why do so many founders keep banging their heads against that brick wall when there are many other sources of funding available, most of which pre-MVP are easier to get and are usually non-dilutive? You can raise funds with equity investments from people other than angels and VCs. Angels and VCs are investing for profit. We are professional investors. We are looking for a return. But 
you may have friends and family that are willing to invest in you that are less attached to that return at the end of the day. They're going to support you because they want to support you. And this can be a way of raising enough money to build out your solution. These people are typically going to be writing much smaller checks. They're not going to be running, writing twenty-five dollars to $100,000. For most people, it's probably a few thousand, maybe $10,000. If you're lucky and you've got rich relatives or friends, then they may be able to fund more than that. But it often doesn't take much more than that to build out the MVP version of your product. So they will be willing to jump in at a phase in your company way before anyone else would. Now, be really straightforward with these people, right? The odds are they're going to lose their money. It's the unfortunate reality of startup world. So you don't want them investing money they can't afford to lose. You don't want to have really awkward Thanksgivings for the next 20 years because they feel like you screwed them over. Make sure they understand what they're getting into when you're talking to inexperienced angel investors, those friends and family who have not been in this world before. And in fact, I'll put up a link. I did an entire video that you could just send to friends and family that explains exactly what these kind of investments are about and make sure that they're going into this with their eyes open. Another straightforward option is debt. Now, you can use credit cards and a lot of companies have in fact been started with credit cards, but that's really not your best option, right? The interest rates are insanely high uh, and there's limited amounts that you can pull out, but there are a lot of programs out there that are focused on providing loans to startups. Usually not gigantic, but it's very common to be able to get say a $50,000 loan at reasonable terms through one of these agencies for building your MVP, right? When you're just at an advanced idea stage with a pretty solid business plan. Uh, and so you'll need to research who is doing that locally. I know that many foreign governments do this. In the US, typically it's done at the state or city level, but lots of programs exist to help support founders get their company off the ground. And that $50,000 is usually all you need to get the wheel going to get that MVP, start getting validation, and then, if you want to, go out and raise that conventional equity. Often, there are grants available to your startup. Typically, these come from government entities, but not always, and they'll pay you for some aspect of building your business, usually because they're trying to support the entrepreneurial ecosystem in the area. Now, some companies have an easier access to this than others. If you are in the green tech or medical tech or space, there's a lot of programs that are really focused around helping companies in those areas, but the government is big. There are so many more kinds of grants than you could possibly imagine. And the great thing about grants is they're non-dilutive. You're not giving away any part of your company and you don't need to pay them back. They're not loans. This is money they're just handing you. Now, usually there are some strings attached. They are expecting certain kinds of deliverables from you in return for taking this grant. Often the grants come in phases. So there'll be a phase one to the grant where you sort of prove out the beginning of where you're going. And if that goes well, then they'll give you a larger phase two and maybe even a phase three to continue building that solution. And often it's a solution that they want to exist. So you frequently will see this, for example, in the DOD, uh, Defense Department, where they are looking for dual-use technologies, things that they need, but that you could also sell to someone else, and they're willing to pay you to build it out. 
A common denominator with most of these grants is they're about research and development. They're about creating that thing that the grant maker wants to exist, the medical treatment or uh, the new technology, the new kind of software, what, whatever this thing is. So they're not paying you for operational activities, right? They're not paying you to market. They're not paying you to uh, do customer support or things like that. But often at this early stage, building that product is your big, biggest expense. And so getting a grant can jump that hurdle to allow you to get the 1.0 version out there. And if the grant giving organization is a potential customer, it also gives you an immediate in with someone who might then be a paying customer going forward. Similar to grants are partnerships, businesses that want to see your solution exist and are willing to pay you to make it. I worked with a company that was building out a marketplace platform and there were some large vendors in the space that really wanted to see this platform exist and one of them was willing to partner up and paid six hundred thousand dollars for them to do the software development to build the solution right now there were some expectations of discounts and prioritizing certain features that would be appropriate to them but they were also sort of a guaranteed customer as soon as things got up and running so if you have well-funded good-sized potential customers it may be worth approaching them to see if this is something that they're really hungry for right if you've done the market validation and have gotten to the shut up and take my money phase or in this case shut up and take my money when you have built the product you may be able to have that follow-on conversation to say hey if you can help us build this product we're going to get this thing done much faster than if we have to somehow bootstrap or self-fund our way through to building out the solution plus you get to have some input into exactly what i'm building and again almost always these are non-dilutive investments most of these businesses are not in the business of investing in startups. They don't want to have stock. It's just sort of this messy thing that doesn't fit with their accounting and their business models. They just want to focus on their business. And if you can make their business more effective, they're often willing to pay you to do that. Finally, you may be able to bootstrap your business. If there's something that you can sell quickly, Maybe it's that super cheap little subversion. Maybe it's services. If you've been doing consulting or could consult on what you're building, you may be able to generate revenue by doing that right now while you build relationships with people who may be customers for your product as soon as it exists and while learning exactly what kind of things they need, right? Helping you to optimize that product. And so as soon as you can get out, start generating revenue with whatever you can put on there, sweat, equity, minimum viable product, something bolted together, whatever that may be, generate a little bit of cash, and then plow that back into the business to allow you to then build that out a little bit more, bring in some additional resources. Eventually you can hire someone. And while you're building it, of course, you're getting continuous feedback because you're trying to sell this thing constantly at every point along the process. And so you can avoid lots of pitfalls. It's always being informed by customer needs. And at some point then, you have a viable revenue stream coming in from this that you've slowly built up over time. And you're now in the, the command seat to decide, do you want to raise equity ever? You may decide not. This may be a great business growing well and you don't need funding. You may decide that you've now got product market fit but a bunch of cash would allow you to poof, accelerate, go to the moon. 
The great thing about that scenario is if you've bootstrapped to this point, you have a really compelling case to make to investors and can probably command a much higher valuation than you would otherwise. So if you have the option to bootstrap, this can be an extremely effective way to get where you're going. It does tend to be a slow way of getting there. So if this is a first to market takes all kind of scenario, maybe bootstrapping doesn't work for you. But it's certainly worth considering as the or a alternative source of funding in these early stages. So if you're stuck in this nightmare paradox of the chicken or the egg and you can't get one before the other, these three strategies, build it super cheap, validate without the product, or find other sources of funding to build that MVP can allow you to escape that whole scenario and move forward towards the business that you actually want to build. Thanks for watching this episode. I hope you found it useful and interesting. And if so, please do the usual like, subscribe, and ring that bell if you didn't do it when I asked you earlier. It makes a huge difference to the channel. I would really appreciate it. Also, I strongly encourage you to go over to Feel the Boot, subscribe to Bootprints. It's an extremely low volume newsletter and we never sell any of your information. My whole background was in privacy. I'm pretty passionate about that. But it does give you access to my office hours. I love talking to founders. Please don't hesitate to sign up. Get some time on my calendar. I'd love to talk to you about whatever issues your startup may be facing. I also encourage you to go look at the rest of the videos on fundraising, and I've got another whole playlist on pitching. There's a lot of good information out there because this is a topic that I think most founders don't really understand well. It's really murky. It's hard to get inside the heads of the investors. And I've tried to lay all of that out for you in a way that's easy to understand and will give you the best chance of raising the money you need. Until next time, ciao.